If you could bring someone back uh, from the past and let them experience some of our modern technology and current events, it would probably be a little alarming for them. Uh, for instance, what would George Washington think if you took him to Banker's Life Fieldhouse and, uh, and he got to watch uh, the Pacers or the Fever play, and up on the big jumbotron, he saw some instant replays happening. I'm imagining the fearless general be kind of like, you know, what, what, what is that? You know, what would Abraham Lincoln think, for instance, if he could go from the, the horse in the buggy carriage ride that he was on on his way to Ford's Theater to suddenly being transported to riding in the front seat of a Lincoln town car through Atlanta, Georgia at about 70 miles per hour? <laughs> He would probably think, looks as though Reconstruction's going well. Uh, what would John F. Kennedy think of GPS devices that inform you, pothole and road ahead? He'd know we've done more than just put Neil Armstrong into outer space. What would Ronald Reagan think if he could walk through an airport and see a lady talking on her cell phone using her Bluetooth device? <laughs> he would think, someone get that lady some help. <laughs> or a friend. <laughs> Honestly, I think it'd be a, a little scary for us too if we could suddenly be transported into the future, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years into the future, and be able to experience technology that would be around in, in, in the future, to see what current events look like. What will your legacy look like in 20 years, in 50 years, in 100 years? What will be your what will, what will your generation have done to prepare the next generation to not only follow in our religious traditions, but to have a strong faith and be thriving as, as Christians in discipleship of Jesus Christ? Your greatest legacy for the future should be that you pass along your faith in Jesus to the next generations. It's a huge, huge responsibility my biggest fear, if I were to look 20 years or 50 years or 100 years into the future, would be to see my children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren living outside of Christ. And here's a sobering thought. If you think of the nearly 70 generations of Christians who have followed Jesus for over the last 2,000 years as links in a continuing chain as well as the generations that are to come after us, it only takes one broken link in that chain, to break the chain forever. We are just one broken link away from the next generations not knowing about Jesus Christ and being followers of his. And that is an alarming wake-up call for every generation that's been since Christ. It's always been true, and praise God, our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents who knew about Jesus, their generations did pass on that faith, and they did teach us about Christ, and they did get into his word, and they helped us to form our own belief in him and to make those all-important decisions to be born again into Jesus and to become disciples of his. I praise God for praying grandparents and great-grandparents who were grounded on the Word of God. May our generation not be the broken link in that all-important chain for the generations that are to come. Today is Father's Day, but this message is, all, uh, is for all of us. I, I'm going to be talking about the role of men in the lives of the next generation, but it's really a partnership, isn't it? Uh, it's not just a Mother's Day sermon in May or a Father's Day sermon in June. 
This message is for all of us. You may not be a young father. Perhaps you're an empty nester or you're a pre-nester. But I guarantee you that there are young people who are looking up to you today for fatherly guidance. And to the ladies in the room, I would say equally that you have an important responsibility and a partnership in this keeping that link in the chain strong and welded tightly together so that it does not weaken and break. In the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the mom says to the daughter who's beginning to fret about her, her father's uneasiness about her approaching uh, wedding, she tells, him, she tells her, she says, the man is the head of the house. But the woman is the neck, and the neck turns the head. (laughs) Wives, moms, grandmas, great-grandmas, this message is for you today as well. When you hear the name Job, you probably think of a man who suffered greatly, and he did. And one of the reasons he suffered, or one of the uh, side effects to the reason why he suffered so greatly was because he had so much to lose. But the reason that he suffered, we have to remember, is because he was such a great man, a righteous man. In fact, if you're familiar with the book of Job, you know that the story is pretty much along the lines of Satan says to God, you know the only reason Job is so righteous and such a devout follower of you is because you have blessed him with all of these things. If you take those away, he'll curse you and die. And and God agrees to step aside and to allow Satan to do his worst. And so that's what we so often focus on when we think of Job. When you hear Job, you think, oh, suffering, you know, and it's true. But the first five verses of the book of Job, the prologue, set the stage for us to understand what a godly man Job really was. He was the best of the best, the holiest of the holy, the Billy Graham of his time period or, or the Mother Teresa of his era in the sense that if you wanted to look at the best example of godliness, you look to Job, and that's certainly what got Satan so jealous of Job's goodness that he challenged God to allow him to test Job. Here's what the first five verses say. And notice that so much of his goodness is about the kind of dad that he was. Job 1 verses 1 through 5 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did continually. Two things about Job that I think each one of us need to consider if we're going to influence the next generations in their walk with Christ. Number one, the next generation needs authentic men of faith. Amen? 
They need authentic men of faith. For too long, Christianity has been almost feminized in a sense that it becomes kind of something that we leave to the moms and the grandmas, and men kind of become absentee in the spiritual development of the next generation. But men, we've got to rise up, and we've got to be present, and we've got to be involved, and we've got to be passionate. They say one of the reasons that so many world religions are thriving today and Christianity seems to really struggle is because we've, we've lowered the bar so much on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But when you raise that bar, you realize there is nothing passive or feminine about being a follower of Jesus Christ. The early Christians could certainly tell you that. The martyrs. Those that put it all on the line, those that kept their faith and would not deny faith in Jesus could tell you this is, this is no spectator sport. This is not for the weak or the wimpy. The Marines for many years had as their slogan, we're looking for a few good men. We're not looking for a whole bunch. We're, we're looking for a few, the few and the proud. In other words, they raised that bar and they helped you to understand this is the real deal. They're looking for manly men. And to be a Christ follower is to be a manly man. You've heard me say it before, but the safest place to be is not always in the will of God, but it is always the right place to be. <laughs> it can be the ride of your life. It can be thrilling and exciting. It can push you outside of your comfort zone. It can challenge your faith. It can cause you to take risks. Because if you're truly a devout follower of Jesus, it takes great courage. There are four things in verse 1 about Job that, uh, that we learn real quickly. First verse of the entire book, first verse of our passage today, four things we learn about Job. One is that an authentic man of faith is full of integrity, right? It says that Job was blameless. Now, he wasn't perfect and sinless, but if you asked anyone of his time period about Job, they'd say, oh, that's a good man, <laughs> No one would have anything bad to say about him at all. Everyone spoke well of him in his absence or in his presence because he was such a blameless man of integrity. The greatest thing that you have in this life is really um, your reputation in a sense. Because once it gets tarnished, all the other things that you could have, wisdom and education and skill, can all be tarnished in a second if you don't have a good blamelessness among others. Your word should be better than your signature. People ought to be able to trust you no matter what. And Job was a man who had great integrity. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. I've always admired people that can stand up and speak at their mom or their dad's memorial services because it takes a lot of um, control of emotion to get through it. Uh, but it's such a huge opportunity. Uh, in ministry, I've had the opportunity to preach several funerals for our family members. And sometimes you wish you could just be out there among the congregation and, and just be a family member for the day. And when you're, you're prepping to get the, the, the notes just right and everything, you're thinking everybody else is having, you know, coffee and cookies and, and, and they're, they're visiting and talking, looking through pictures. And I'm in here trying to, you know. But I'll tell you what, I've never regretted the opportunity to preach 
a family member's funeral. I, I've preached uh, both of my grandfather's funerals. I preached my great-grandmother's funeral. I preached my Uncle Bob's last year and my Aunt Kathy's last year. Uh, I preached both of Shauna's grandma's uh, funerals. And by far the hardest I've ever preached was my nephew's. But I wouldn't, I don't regret any of those, and I wouldn't have let anyone else do it. My grandmother asked me last week if I would, she goes, now would you be able to do my service? And I said, well, grandmother, if I'm still here then, <laughs> and if the Lord hasn't come back, uh, yes, I would. Because to be able to stand up and say things that are honest and true and for everybody out there to know that you're not trying to preach this person into heaven, but that this is a person who, even though maybe they were a good and blameless and upright person, your hope is in the fact that they put their trust, their salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you get to preach about hope in a way that is real and alive. The verbal root of this Hebrew word means to be complete. I got to think about it. I thought, well, what does complete mean? <laughs> wholesome, not partialsome. <laughs> wholesome. The whole word wholesome has the word whole in front of it. W-H-O-L-E, wholesome. A wholesome person. We should, we should live every day of our lives so that when our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters, great-grandchildren, whatever, stand up at our memorial service, they'll be able to say, I want to be just like my dad because he was like Jesus. That's blameless. Also says that he was, he was honest or upright. He was blameless and he was upright. His word was his word. And, and you, could, you could just count on anything that he said. That upright standing and that honesty. That we always tell the truth. And that we can be trusted. Trust is a big deal. And our children ought to always know that they can that they can trust us. I was watching an old episode this week while I was working in the kitchen there at the house, doing some stuff around the house, and uh, Leave it to Beaver was on. And uh, Ward was too busy to talk to the beaver because he was in his den. We don't disturb Dad when he's in his den, June said. But uh, his, basically, Beaver told his mom, Dad said, get lost. <laughs> she went in and said, did you tell the beaver to get lost? <laughs> And he said, no, I didn't tell him to get lost. I don't remember talking to him. I was busy doing some things, this, that, or the other. And she began to, to ask him more questions about it. And he says, June, no offense, but get lost. And she slammed the door to his den. I didn't know June and Ward had discussions like that. I thought that didn't come along until the you know, 1990s or so, but apparently they did. Uh, what was that, 1950s, I guess. And, uh, but at the end, he, he takes some time off. And he says to Beaver, you know, Beaver, Wally, I was real busy over the weekend, and I, I didn't take the time that I should have taken to talk with you. And you had some questions for me. So I took off a little bit early today. How's about we, we, we have a talk? And they kind of go and they, they spend some time together. Dads are imperfect people. We make mistakes. We disappoint our children. But I hope we're always honest with them, and we always go back and we say, you know what, I think I blew it. Will you give me another chance? And we, we talk about things that were honest. Next, we, we see that he feared God. Psalm 103, 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Fear him. Do you fear the Lord? Dads, is God your number one source of authority? 
Do you live your life in accordance to the word of God as if it is his absolute word, which it is, his holy inspired truth for you, his guidelines for what you determine is right and you determine is wrong? Is that your worldview? Do you have a, Christ, a Christian, a Christ-like worldview to where the, the word of God just totally drives everything that, that you do? I heard about three ladies that were preparing to launch a, a Bible study, uh, four ladies actually, and they were talking about Bible translations and which ones they liked the best and, and what kind of a study they were going to do. And, and so what, well, what translation do you like best? And the first lady said, oh, I like the King James because it's such beautiful Shakespearean language and it just sounds like a poem and it just really sticks in my heart. I really, I really like the King James. The next one said, well, I like the NIV. I like it because it's easy to understand and it talks conversationally the way we talk today. And I like that about, that, about it. Another one said, well, I like the ESV, the English Standard Version, because of its accuracy to the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. I, I like that one. And the fourth one spoke up, and she said, I guess when it comes to translations of the Bible, I like my, my father's the best, because my dad put the Word of God into practice every day, and he's best best translation of the gospel that I've ever heard. Fear God. Don't just teach your children Show them. I guess showing is teaching. Don't just instruct verbally, but you teach by your actions and the way that you fear God. And the fourth thing there in verse 1 is avoid evil. Avoid evil. You know there is a lot of evil in this world, and it is amazing how much Satan uses it to try to trip us up. I think one of the biggest things he does to trip us up is our busyness. You know, if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If, if he can't cause you to commit the sin, you know, to, to have sins of commission, he'll have you cause, to have sins of omission where you know what is right to do, but you're too busy to do it. You're too busy to get into the Word. You're too busy to pray. You're too busy to have your quiet time. You're too busy to serve. You're too busy, busy, busy. And, and life is so daily and it gets away from us. But there is also all kinds of temptation, billboards and advertisements that are constantly showing us the flesh and trying to lure us away and to play into our addictive behaviors, whether it's pornography or it's chemical addiction. There are all these things that are bidding for your attention to break you and trip you up and to cause you to not be the kind of dad that God has designed you to be. Avoid evil. We like to flirt with temptation. Kind of like the preacher that uh, <laughs> told his church staff, I'm going to go on a diet, and I'm going to really work hard at it, and I want you all to keep me accountable to this. I need to lose some weight, and so you, you just you keep me accountable. And <laughs> first Monday morning after he told them that, he came into the office, and he had a great big old box of donuts, jelly-filled, custards. There might have been, you know, some uh, maple-glazed... Uh, Titus Donuts in there. Anyway, he comes into the office and, and they say, I thought you said you were on a diet. He said, well, God wanted me to have these donuts. And they said, God wanted you to have these donuts? How do you know God wanted you to have these donuts? He said, well, I prayed on the way to work this morning. I said, Lord, if it's your will that I should have these donuts, please let there be a spot open right in front of the door. And he said, would you believe it? Eighth time, eighth time around the block, sure enough, there it was. Spot right in front of the door. You know what your weaknesses are. Mine are definitely donuts. But whatever, whatever that is, whatever the God is trying to work on your life, you can expect Satan to try to trip you up in that area. Stay away from evil. Avoid it. You are human. 
and it doesn't take very many mistakes to totally blow uh, your authenticity to the next generation. All right, one final uh, thing. The next generation needs bold men of faith, authentic men of faith and bold men of faith. We need to step up and we need to be courageous men in our walks with the Lord. The number seven, it says he had seven sons and three daughters. The number seven was the biblical number for completeness in the Old Testament. The Bible's full of all kinds of imagery, and, and oftentimes it, it, it uh, weaves together reality and imagery. He did, in fact, have seven sons and three daughters, but it, it, it plays into that fact from a, a writing standpoint. It lets us know that that. Job was a complete guy. He had seven sons and three daughters, and seven and three make ten, another nice round number. He was a wholesome kind of guy. Uh, set your priorities in order. If you're, a, a bold man has his priorities set in order. James 5.11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, who have heard of the steadfastness of Job And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James, you remember that? Did you remember that James mentions Job and talks about his steadfastness? It takes a lot of intentionality to be a dad whose priorities are in the right place. Again, because life is so daily and we are so busy. And there are so many things trying to help us scramble the order where uh, where God should be first and family should be second and everything else should follow that. It's, it's, it's hard to keep it in check. My dad was always good about his, his emphasis on uh, priorities when making decisions for things like discipline or right and wrong. One time we were at a Cub Scout overnighter. And, you know, my dad was, he was in the Army. He, he, he participated and served our country in, in Vietnam. And, and uh, my dad was not a rule breaker in the, in, in, when he'd go on an event or something. But I remember we were supposed to have a big dinner around a, an open fire. And the leaders had the idea that they were going to cook the meal on the open fire. And it was an epic fail. It was bad. Like when the plates, when they were dipping out the food, you didn't know what it was. They, everything was the same color, a dark black charred color. And uh, we, I remember this vividly. Like, why would, <laughs> why would young Cub Scouts have eaten this anyway? I don't know. But one of the things on the plate were what we believed to be uh, carrots, cut-up carrots. Uh, they were b- black circles, and the meat was burned, and everything was burned, and everybody was crowded around this fire trying to figure out what to do. And I remember my dad, who, again, would not normally have been in favor, but he used that wisdom and set the prior what matters most kind of thing in the moment. And he kind of nudged me like this to get my attention, and he, he motioned with his head for me to follow him. And we slipped away from the crowd, and we went through the, the woods, through a little path back to the cabins. And he had a duffel bag. And in that duffel bag, he had a bag of pretzel rods and a two-liter bottle of Big Red. (laughs) Now, nothing about that says good parenting, right? You know, Big Red right before dinner, pretzel rods. I'll guarantee it doesn't sound like my dad at all. But he knew in that moment what mattered most. Did it matter the most that we, you know, participated in this meal? and And you know what? To this day, 
that is one of my most cherished memories with my dad, that we laughed about that meal, and we were like, what was that, you know? And we had this time together, this bonding, and, and a good dad knows how to connect with his kids in a way that is real. And they dedicate them to God. Did you notice that Job, it says after his sons and daughters would have these birthday celebrations, it doesn't say anything was wrong with these feastings. It's not necessarily that the sins were at these particular feasts that they were having. But maybe it was, I think, I have to wonder, if maybe you know, is it kind of like an annual thing on the anniversary of their birthdays, like a dad praying for his kids and you know, praying for their faith? Job took the time to make sure that they were dedicated to God in case they had sinned since since he had last prayed for them. Now, you can't pray away your kids' sins or their guilt, but I believe you should pray. Pray for your kids every day that they would be followers of God and dedicate them to him and remember they belong to him and always, always fight for their hearts. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son... With my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. (laughs) And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Pray for wisdom. I think as dads, we ought to do all we can. Read the best books that are out there by the Christian authors that that can instruct us. We ought to do the podcasts and everything that we can to become better dads. But the best thing that you can do is pray for godly wisdom. Pray for God's wisdom. And all that you do, and she will treat you well. It said Job did this prayer for his sons and daughters continually. He was consistent in season and out of season. One of my commentaries said this about Job and about specifically, you know, with regard to these five, this passage. The apparent contradictions within Job should not be considered an indication of poor editing but the deliberate work of an accomplished author. The relationship between the patient Job and the impatient Job contributes to the overall message of the book. It shows that Job is a real person. And all God's fathers said, amen. I'm glad. I'm glad that we see a man who was real, but who was considered blameless and upright, who feared God, and who avoided evil at all costs. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for setting the perfect example for us as our Heavenly Father. You're first and foremost. And God, as we strive to um, parent our children, to grandparent our grandchildren, God, to, uh, to do our part in that link in the chain, God, that the next generation and generations to come will continue to be uh, followers of you, that, Lord, their faith would be strong. God, we are mindful that, uh, that we are real and imperfect, but that, God, you give us what we need to please you and to honor you and to glorify you and to truly strengthen our individual 
generations link in the chain, uh, God. Today, I pray for that for every, every person here at Dover, Lord. And now, God, as we continue to worship you in the remainder of our service, be honored and glorified. Have your way in this time. Father, I pray for humility for the proud, that, God, they would be able to humble themselves, those that need to do work with you, those that need to admit uh, brokenness, or those, uh, God, who, who need a friend to lean on to help them. God, those who need to ask for your wisdom, those who need to repent, Father. I pray that, God, this would be a, a time in which you can stir and move in, the, in their hearts. We, we certainly invite your Holy Spirit to do so and, and beg upon you, God, for, for mercy and for your grace. God, I pray for those that need uh, salvation today. That, Lord, they're not even part of the link. That, God, they'd get on board and they'd say, I'm going to quit trying to do it all on my own. But they're going to turn it over to you. I pray for them, Father. God, I pray, uh, I pray for confidence for those that are beat up. That, Lord, you would restore the broken. And that today, Father, no matter what a father has done or been through, that, Lord, you can show us that today is a new day and that you make all things new. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.